0: Personal Reflections on Long-Termism by Nat Kilu Disclaimer. This post is entirely based on my impressions of long-termism as informed by my interaction with the literature, other long-termists, and questions from curious non-long-termists. This post is not a critique of the work being done by long-termists currently, but rather a push to widen the category of interventions being pursued under the long-termist umbrella. It may be that I am missing some key facts, in which case I would greatly appreciate responses challenging my assumptions, claims, and conclusions. Finally, all views expressed here are solely mine and do not reflect any organizations I am affiliated with directly or indirectly. I take full responsibility for any harmful premises presented. Heading Summary This post is a personal reflection on long termism from my perspective as an African woman living and working in the continent. In the post, I make the claim that it seems as though pursuing the flourishing of future generations such that all future beings lead dignified and worthwhile lives points to the need for us to pursue more interventions that feed into systemic change. I also make this point as a contribution to the of pursuit of good value lock-in. I contend that the values we currently hold substantially lower the quality of life for some groups of people who share traits which have historically been subjected to oppression and marginalization and that failing to work on these issues falls short of the claim that, some, long-termists seek not only the endurance of humanity but its flourishing too. Heading. Earlier impressions. My initial response as a newcomer to EA was to reject long-termism. At the very least, I believed, incorrectly, that the widely accepted sustainability principle already covered its objectives by ensuring that the earth remains habitable for future generations. I also found strong long-termism, that in any set of decision situations, the best decision would be the one with the best consequences for the far future conclusion, to be quite counterintuitive, especially given my surroundings. Finally, it was also difficult to fully comprehend the sheer numbers cited, scope insensitivity, difficult to believe that we could actually know what would count as protecting future generations, cluelessness and even then whether these actions would actually lead to their intended consequences given that their effects are to be felt far off into the future, for example, washing out and rapid diminution. The case for long-termism rests on the following premises, a. that future people matter, that is, they have equal moral worth as present people, b. that by many estimates, they will by far outnumber us, c. that there are ways in which we can make sure the long-term future goes well, and d. according to strong long-termists that doing so is the greatest moral imperative of our lifetime given what is at stake. My understanding of the work and literature around long-termism seems to indicate that long-termism, broadly speaking, is concerned with two objectives, a. ensuring that the long-term future exists and humanity's potential is not destroyed or significantly impaired, work here is heavily focused on preventing existential catastrophes, as well as, b ensuring that future beings lead flourishing lives. Concerns here revolve around the quality of lives and well-being of sentient beings existing then. For example, good value lock in and preventing suffering risks. I gradually came to embrace weak long-termism as a result of frequently exposing myself to discussions on the idea, a commitment to embracing the scout mindset, and becoming aware of some of the cognitive biases at work. Hence, I consider ensuring that the long-term future goes well a priority of mine without it being the key priority. Notably, my belief that pursuing both objectives, survival and thriving, is a worthwhile enterprise forms the foundation of my long-termist identity. Recent works have also been of tremendous help by presenting additional perspectives on concern for posterity and a desire to improve the future from other cultures, such as Abungu's work, which looks into the perspectives of several African communities and reports by the Legal Priorities Project showing the apparent consensus amongst both lay people and legal experts on the fact that we could and should do more to protect future generations using legal channels. Heading On the language of long-termism Long-termist aspirations, as seen through long-termism's language and principles, reflect neutrality and impartiality in the pursuit of interventions designed to ensure that the long-term future goes well. However, My contention arises from the fact that we live in a deeply unequal world, and some of the causes of inequality are deeply entrenched into our systems. It appears then to me that the neutral language of long-termism, which informs the types and scope of interventions pursued, overlooks the serious ways in which we are greatly unequal. This, in turn, increases the possibility that only certain privileged groups will stand to benefit, and perhaps disproportionately so. From the interventions undertaken under the seemingly neutral pursuit to protect and promote the existence and well being of all human beings. Heading Formal v. Substantive Equality. To elucidate this point, I'll briefly discuss the concept of equality as understood under the doctrine of indirect discrimination. Firstly, it is important here to broadly distinguish between formal equality, where treating people equally is equated with treating them similarly, and substantive equality where structural comparisons are made to ensure that already marginalized groups are not further harmed even by facial neutral acts, principles, or policies. When we assume that formal equality, using neutral language in setting out principles, acts, or policies, necessarily leads to substantive equality, we may inadvertently lead to the further exclusion or marginalization of already vulnerable groups. This is because, as Mackinnon observes, looking at the roots of the principle, the call to treat like alike and unlike was not, in principle, intended to promote equality in instances of inequality. For example, between Greek men and Greek women, but rather to stabilize relations amongst those who are already structurally alike. For example, amongst adult Greek men. This recognition of the ways in which group differences, for example, race, gender, sexuality, etc., may render even facial neutral approaches, laws. Policies, acts, etc., disproportionately harmful to such groups has instead been embraced as a more robust way of ensuring that true equality is pursued. Thus, rigorously assessing our acts, principles, or policies would allow us not only to detect inadvertent disparate effects, but also to counter them as all decision makers would be compelled to interrogate the impact of their practices or policies on people who are different from them. Furthermore, several proponents of this view, under the indirect discrimination doctrine, Attach moral culpability to actors who fail to seriously take into consideration the vulnerability of certain groups given their historical oppression, citing this as a failure to acknowledge others as persons of equal moral worth in their deliberation. Such negligent actors are also accused of intentionally seeking to maintain the status quo and compounding injustice. Heading. My claim. According to our world in data the sole instance of being born in the developed world may make a world of difference in the quality and kind of life one will lead. Additionally, recent UN estimates show that by 2050, half of the world's population growth will be concentrated in about nine countries, eight of which are low, and middle-income countries with a majority black and brown population. This then seems to indicate that an increasing percentage of the world's population will be born in and live in a world with deeply, entrenched systemic issues ranging from their weak national institutions, and widening inequalities to systemic biases with regards to their race and gender, as well as ableism, cis, heteronormativity, etc., and the increasingly anti-immigration stances being embraced in the developed world. These deeply entrenched problems present very serious challenges to the lives of millions of people presently. Which greatly diminishes the quality of their lives. Worse still, these challenges, most of them systemic, are quite likely to persist into the future if they are not strategically and intentionally addressed. It seems necessary to me then, when envisioning the future and promoting the long termist objectives, to ask the question who are we envisioning as the kind person who will live in the long term future? Further, do we envision the far future to be raceless, genderless, etc.? or at least one where these traits do not connote the power, vulnerability that they currently do? Are countries from the global south sufficiently developed politically, and economically to be considered equal voices on the global stage? If so, how did they manage to overcome the persisting effects of colonialism, imperialism, and exploitation? In a nutshell, will the existing systemic injustices be a thing of the past? If not, and if indeed the situation significantly worsens for this growing population, how would we, as long-termists have countered the repugnant conclusion? If such injustices will be a thing of the past, what role would we have played as long-termists in ensuring this state of affairs? This question is quite pertinent, especially as Cargill asserts in expanding the moral circle to future generations in the long view, that the assumption that the moral arc ineluctably bends to justice is mistaken and that it has taken and will continue to take the intentional hard work of daring members of society to expand our moral circle of concern. I also argue that it is not good enough to work only towards ensuring that the long-term future exists, assuming that these challenges will somehow self-correct. Instead, I believe that as a community of people dedicated to doing the most good we can, we ought to strive to ensure that those who will live then live sufficiently well. Having laid out my contention, I find myself going back to the oft-made criticism against EA on the non-pursuit of systemic change or the missing middle problem, as described by Gabriel and McElwey. I also find myself sympathetic to the methodological critique of EA by Broy, where he observes that while EA institutionally does not prevent the pursuit of systemic change, its methodology does not seem to give much room for such interventions to be successfully considered. I extend both of these views to my concerns about long-termism. Albeit loosely as I suspect there may be some key differences between EA and long-termism that would render this comparison ineffective. 1. Still, I believe that as long-termism is focused on even larger timescales and population scales, the currently pursued long-termist interventions by the community are too narrow, almost entirely focused on preventing or mitigating X risks. Unfortunately, my limited quantitative skills hinder me from making any robust critiques as to the methodology employed by long-termists too. Successfully make this point. Yet I still find it difficult to envision a truly flourishing long term future for all people while social, political, and economic inequalities persist and become more entrenched. What's more, the UN's our common agenda. Policy Brief 1, concerned with the protection of future generations, echoes this point of view, calling for redoubled efforts to achieve peace, sustainability, human rights, fairness, inclusion, and equality in the present. Hence, I think the absence of this concern in long-termist literature and discussions is worrying and leaves uncertainty over the long-termist position. Heading. Closing remarks. That future people have equal moral worth as current people is a bedrock principle in long-termism, and yet demonstrating this equal moral concern requires more than the mere acknowledgement of this fact. It requires the recognition that certain groups of people are systemically marginalized and highly vulnerable so promoting their well-being well into the future would require the arduous task of getting rid of the heavy chains that have been put on them for generations. Failing to take seriously these serious barriers to a more fulfilling and dignified life might inevitably render the long-termist agenda partial to the interests of the already privileged populations and their descendants. Ultimately, I believe that seriously taking into account the inequalities that persist in pursuing long-termism may prevent us from reaching dreadful conclusions such as Save the Westerner and Eugenicist Ones. In closing, I would like to share my own reasons for promoting long-termism and urging other young, brilliant Africans to embrace it. Firstly, I generally believe in the aims of long-termism, which focus on promoting and preserving the long-term potential of humanity. I also firmly believe in the power of additional perspectives in improving the robustness of any noble ideas and pursuits, including long-termism. I think that voices from this part of the world have the potential to provide great improvements to the philosophy and its practical work thus ensuring that the long-term future goes well for everyone. Furthermore, I think that long-termism is a fairly young field and thus more amenable to change. Lastly, I hope that through the diversification of thought and identities, the movement will become a shining example of true equality as seen through its culture and treatment of minorities, in stark opposition to the prevailing treatment we receive in other spaces in the rest of the world. To end, I would like to address a few readily apparent concerns challenges that I foresee arising from this post. 1. Although I have been in the long-termist space for over two years now, engaging with these ideas, I believe that there could be strands of long-termism that I am yet to be aware of, which sufficiently address my concerns. In that case, this post is also a call to make those strands more visible and give them more legitimacy in EA or long-termist spaces. Two, I also understand that the problems I have mentioned likely fail to meet the neglectedness and/or tractability criteria. However, as indicated in the post, I am sympathetic to the calls to adjust the current methodology to at least give some interventions in the systemic change funneler fighting chance especially given the long-termist view. I also write this post to ensure that these concerns stay in our minds as we conceptualize a flourishing future for all sentient beings. 3. I have, indirectly, made the assertion that, as long-termists it is important that the future we envision is one in which we have avoided the repugnant conclusion. This assertion is somewhat challenged here, but I retain the assertion. Because I think there is value in thinkers taking their time to seriously consider ways in which such conclusions may be avoided. 1. For example, the methodology used in EA is very heavily focused on evidence and impact with good feedback loops, while the one employed in long termism is more speculative. Additionally, the scales considered under near termism are also much smaller and shorter than in long termism. This article was narrated by Type 3 Audio for the Effective Altruism Forum. It was first published on August 17, 2023. To report an issue or give feedback on this narration, go to t3a.is.